Well, would you uh, turn in your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 21 to 35, page 985 uh, in the Church Bibles is the page number, page 985, 985, Matthew chapter 18. And uh, this is the third in our series, looking um, at uh, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, the last uh, two weeks we've been looking through this chapter, the third and last uh, in this little series. And uh, you'll see, once again, I've produced a, a handout that you might find useful um, if you uh, like these things, then there it is, whether you want to scribble on it or, uh, or indeed just uh, look to see where I'm going. Hopefully that will be useful for you. Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. On Remembrance Sunday in 1987 in Enniskillen, County Fermanagh in Northern Ireland, a bomb exploded at 10.45am without any warning. It was planted near the town Cenotaph where people had gathered to pay their respects to the war dead and you may well remember the uh, events of that day. 63 people were injured and 11 people killed in that blast. It was a low point in the already desperate troubles in Northern Ireland. And I think it's fair to say it shocked the nation. But then something happened just later that day that baffled the nation and amazed the nation. Gordon Wilson, uh, the father of one of those murdered, was seen on national television to forgive those who had just murdered his daughter. And I don't know how you reacted. You may well remember that occasion well. Now, I want to ask, how could anybody possibly do that? How could anybody forgive the way that Gordon Wilson forgave? Well, the parable that Jesus told us of the unmerciful servant begins to tell us how we can forgive that way. See, Jesus told the parable in response to Peter's question uh, in verse 21 uh, and the first point on the sheet, the, the question, how often should I forgive, verse 21? Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? You see, last week we heard Jesus teaching that every believer is precious and how we should indeed go out of our way for others. How we should long to bring about reconciliation when others have, have sinned against us. And that's what prompted Peter's question. See, he was listening to Jesus' teaching. And as uh, Jesus finished his teaching, you can just see Peter there with his hand up at the back of the class. And verse 21, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? See, Peter understood what Jesus was saying in this previous section. In the kingdom of God, we're to make every attempt to be reconciled to other believers that means forgiving others, Christians, even when they wrong us. But how many times are we expected to do that? It's such an important question, isn't it? I know Christian people who are harbouring a grudge against other Christians. They're stuck in the past because they've never properly dealt with something that offended them years ago. I was speaking to a friend of mine, also a clergyman, just uh, earlier this week. I was telling him that I was preaching on this and he, he told me that he met a lady recently who said, I don't go to church because the vicar wouldn't baptise my baby. That was back in the 1930s. The lady in question is now 96 years old and still she's cutting herself off from the people of God because of a disagreement 70 years ago with a man who's now dead. Well, I meet people, and I'm sure you do, who are bitter and twisted over wrongs done to them months and even years ago. They have refused to forgive and eventually they cannot forgive. 
and that colours so much of their lives. And what is even more desperate, uh, or equally desperate, is it not only affects the individual, uh, when that happens, it affects the whole church fellowship. Unresolved conflict and unforgiven sin is like a yeast in a batch of dough. It works its way through the whole batch. Being willing to forgive is crucial for the health and well-being of a church family because forgiveness is a foundation of the gospel we enjoy. It's simply not acceptable in God's kingdom to be at loggerheads with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We will fall out with each other, we will have disagreements, but to let that go on is simply not acceptable. And so Peter's question is right on the money. How many times shall I forgive? And I think Peter's question shows a real attempt to obey Jesus. See verse 21, should I forgive as many as seven times? That would be quite something, wouldn't it? Because, you see, the grievance he's describing here is a very significant one. As we saw last week, the word for sin in verse 21 is a serious sin. It's the same word in verse 15. And the only other time it's used in Matthew's Gospel, as I told you last week, is in chapter 27, verse 4, when Judas Iscariot, just before hanging himself, says, I have sinned. There's the same word. I've sinned, I've betrayed innocent blood. To betray innocent blood. So when this word sin is used in Matthew's Gospel, it suggests a very serious offence. So, if another Christian sins against me, seriously offending me and hurting me, how many times should I forgive them? As many as seven times? That would be quite something, wouldn't it? The same Christian person hurting me, offending me, wronging me, again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Jesus, should I forgive them seven times? At, uh, at home, our, our children um, are like all children. Well, I hope they're like all children. They, they do the same naughty things over and over. And in my frustration, I say, how many times do I have to tell you? And they look up at me and they say, sorry, Daddy. And I say, if you were sorry, you wouldn't keep doing it. Don't give them much slack. And that's why, why, why Peter's suggestion is so amazing. See, to forgive up to seven times is quite something. I mean, with children we do it, but when it's with adults who ought to know better. And, and here, do you see again in verse 21, it's to forgive a Christian that many times. See verse 21, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he seriously sins against me? It is so much more hurtful when Christians hurt us, isn't it? Some years back, I, I met with a Christian guy who was having serious problems at work. Uh, he was uh, being mistreated at work just because he was a Christian. One or two colleagues managed to make his life a misery. And that's why we used to meet regularly together, to pray together, and to I wanted to support him in that. He was a remarkable example of grace and forgiveness in the situation. Uh, but on one occasion when we met, he looked terribly downcast, and I, I simply asked him what the matter was. And he told me how a Christian in the church had been so cruel to him and spread rumours about him that simply weren't true. And then he said, you know, all this abuse at work, it hurts, but I can cope with it because I expect it from the world. But when a Christian acts like that, well, you see, I don't expect it from Christians. See, when the world wrongs us, it hurts us, but we expect it. That's the way the world is. 
And when we see the world behaving as badly and appalling as they do to one another in the big brother house, well, we may not like it, but we expect it because that's the way the world is. But when another Christian hurts us, seriously sins against us, that hurts so much more. And if a Christian repeatedly and seriously sins against me, how many times should I forgive them? Seven times would be remarkably generous, wouldn't it? Serious sin. Well, that's what Peter's saying, and I think he's taking this very seriously to even go far as seven. But listen to Jesus' answer in verse 22. Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. See, how many times shall I forgive my brother? The answer, point two, unlimited forgiveness, verses 22 to 35. And that is Jesus' point, unlimited forgiveness. Jesus is not just teaching multiple forgiveness, but unlimited. It's not that I should forgive 77 times and then no more, that when I've uh, forgiven somebody 74 times, they've only three more forgiveness credits in their account. It sounds ridiculous putting it like that, and yet that is exactly what we do, isn't it? We do keep a record of wrongs. You may say, no, I never do that. Oh, yes, we do. Because when we come to the end of our tether, out come all the previous hurts that we've stored away. That's me all over. So if somebody's hurt me, I'll say it to myself, or if I'm with Caroline, I'll say it to her, I'll say, that is the last straw, I've been so patient, I've let it go again and again and again, I just can't can't keep giving this person slack. Do you ever do that? And what have I done then? I've just remembered all those things that have been piled. It might have looked as if I was forgiving, but oh, they're all there, packed up. When it's 76 times, that you've got one more go and then it's all going to come out. I just can't keep giving this person slick. Well, just a slack. Well, Jesus says, Paul, in God's kingdom, you must. You must keep forgiving because that is how God forgives you. And that's why Jesus told the parable. The parable where we learn uh, over the page on the handout, the first sub-point, the king's lavish grace in forgiving debts. Verses 23 to 27. Verse 23. Do you remember the parable? Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go. Well, that was a remarkably gracious act. But the details of the story flesh out the king's lavish grace all the more. The king is, is so magnanimous at every point. See, in verse 25, the king ordered that the servant and his family be sold into slavery. He could easily have ordered the man to be thrown into jail. Indeed, later on, that's what the man does with his fellow servant. But no, he was going to sell him and his family into slavery. It says here to pay the debt. It would never have paid the debt. Uh, And of course, selling him into slavery was magnanimous. This was not the appalling slavery that Wilberforce fought to end 200 years ago. This was much more like being a household servant. The king was remarkably gracious even at that point. doesn't throw him in jail. And all the more as we consider the debt that he was willing to write off. See, in verse 24 the servant owed 10,000 talents. 
A talent was the highest denomination of currency in the ancient Greco-Roman world. 10,000 was the highest named numeral. And so 10,000 talents is the largest amount of money that Jesus can express. He can't, he's got no other language to, to give a bigger number. In our currency, this servant owed billions of pounds. David Beckham's new five-year deal to play soccer with the Los Angeles Galaxy is worth, did you hear about it, a staggering $250 million over five years. Well, look, the amount this servant owed in the parable makes Beckham's new contract seem like small change. Well, if not small change, not much more than a tidy nest egg. The servant owed a Bill Gates-sized fortune billions of pounds, a debt that the man could never pay, even if he won the lottery several weeks running. And yet the king was willing to cancel the debt. Billions of pounds in debt. And spiritually, that is how we all stand before the Almighty God. Jesus tells the story because that's how much we are in debt to the Father. He gives us everything we have, every breath we take, every good gift comes from him. And we take and take and take from him without barely acknowledging him. We run up a huge debt by living our lives our way. Like living in a a lavish hotel complex, eating the food, using all the facilities, the gym, the swimming pool, the golf course. Living it up. Using it all, yet never paying and never even thanking the owner. That's how we live our lives. We owe the king of the universe a huge debt. What a gracious God that he should cancel a debt of this magnitude. Displays his enormous grace, doesn't it? But but remember how costly it was to cancel the debt. It wasn't a matter of just putting a line through a ledger. To have this debt cancelled cost Jesus his life on a cruel cross. We must remember, friends, forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. The king's lavish grace is quite something. And I would guess there are some here this morning and you're only too aware of your sin. Some here who you think you're so bad you couldn't possibly be forgiven. Well, listen to the story and be reassured, yes, you can, even you. You may well be weighed down by the guilt of your past, by the way you've treated others, by crimes that that no one else knows about, not even your your closest, your nearest and dearest. There's things in the past. Maybe you're you're quite frightened that one day somebody's going to knock on the door and they're going to reveal all that stuff that that you've done. Well, your debt is huge and you know it. Listen to this parable. You can be forgiven. Isn't that wonderful? For others here, well, you're a Christian but you don't really think you're that bad. That is a very dangerous place to be. Because only when we grasp the enormity of the debt that has been cancelled to us will we be willing to forgive others, no matter what they do to us. See, when we grasp the size of the debt that God has cancelled, then we will feel, the second sub-point, the outrage of failing to forgive, verses 28 to 31. See, verse 28, when that servant, the one who'd just been uh, 
let off billions of pounds. When that servant went out, he he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and, and went and told their master everything that had happened. It's a brilliant story. As we read it, we're meant to feel really angry at this man who's been cancelled such a huge debt. Uh, It's a brilliant story because the second servant pleads for mercy with exactly the same words the first servant used. Did you notice that? You see verse 26. The first servant said to his master, to the king, be patient with me. He begged and I will pay back everything. Verse 29, the second servant fell on his knees and begged, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. The same pleading and yet a different outcome. The same pleading and yet an unwillingness to cancel the debt. And let's not miss the point. The debt the second servant owed was a tidy sum. 100 denarii, we're told in verse 28. A denarius was the the daily minimum wage, so 100 denarii was not a small amount. I think the uh, NIV is unhelpful here in telling us in the footnote that it was just a few pounds. 100 days' wages... Now today, the minimum wage is £5.35 per hour. Did you know that? had to look it up on the internet this week. Now that would be £42.80 for an eight-hour day. So 100 days' wages is £4,280. That's 100 denarii. This was a significant sum of money, not to be sneezed at. Somebody owed you £4,000. You'd want it back, wouldn't you? It was a significant amount of money. It's just that it is a ludicrously small amount compared with the billions of pounds the first servant had been cancelled. And Jesus tells it that way because sins committed against us can be quite significant. They can really hurt. Not a small thing, not a few pence, but 4,000 pounds. And then how should we react? Well, Jesus intends this story to enrage his followers. Look how mad the other servants were in verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. The other servants were outraged that the first servant refused to cancel the relatively small debt compared to the whopping fortune that he had had cancelled. And you see, we should be livid when we see that happen. Yet so often, Christians don't view it that way at all. A Christian lass came to see me a few years ago, having been been treated really badly at work. As we chatted about what she should do, she, she told me a Christian friend had advised her, this is a Christian friend speaking to another Christian, and I quote, screw your boss for everything you can get and make his life hell. What a terrible thing for a Christian to advise. What a terrible thing for a Christian to say to anybody, but not least of all another Christian. Now look, please don't mishear me. In the workplace there are grievance procedures and correct and legal ways of dealing with disputes. And I'm not saying that a Christian should never go down those routes, but for a Christian to advise another Christian with such venomous and ungracious language is simply unacceptable in the kingdom of God. And while that may be an extreme response, that girl's response, 
My experience is that very often Christians don't advise other Christians well. When we meet with a Christian friend who who feels they've been badly treated and badly hurt, and maybe they have been badly treated and badly hurt, maybe they are the innocent party, what do we say to them? This parable tells us we must advise them to forgive and be reconciled to their brother or sister in Christ. What often happens? We sit down with our cup of coffee with our friend and we take our friend's side. We tell them that what's happened to them was terrible. We sympathise with them when they refuse to forgive another Christian. You know, I can see why, you know, I don't blame you for not forgiving them. But like the other servants in the parable in verse 35, we should be outraged when a Christian won't forgive another Christian. Friends, when you're advising people, remember this parable. If you really are a friend, you will tell other Christians that they must forgive other Christians. As hard as the debt against them is. And the way you show them is that the, 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 the debt that's been cancelled for them is so huge that whatever has happened to them, it is not anything compared to that. When a Christian won't forgive another, we should fear for them. For if we refuse to forgive, we must face up to, thirdly, the frightful fate awaiting the unforgiving. Verses 32 to 35. Now look, as we look at these uh, last few verses, uh, let me uh, ask us to get our thinking straight. These days, if people believe in God at all, and often they don't, of course, but if in our culture people believe in God at all, they usually believe in a God who loves everyone and never gets angry about anything. But listen, the truth about the king of the universe as Jesus has revealed him here as we've already seen he is the one true God who is full of lavish love and grace. Oh yes he is. He is full of love but he is a God of justice and so when people refuse to follow him he will unleash his righteous anger and just punishment. Look at verse 32. The master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Don Carson writes this, Jesus sees no incongruity in the actions of a heavenly father who forgives so bountifully and punishes so ruthlessly. And neither should we. And so what happens, verse 34? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And of course, that would have been never. Because in prison, it would be impossible for him to repay all he owes because in prison, he would not earn a penny. And then in the devastating end of the parable, Jesus says, verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now please, don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying here. This is not salvation by forgiveness. That I'm a forgiving person, therefore I'll be forgiven. In some way, by me forgiving others, I will be forgiven. That's not it at all. No, Jesus is saying in this last line, if I refuse to forgive another Christian, then clearly I don't know the Gospel. Because if I really know how much I've been forgiven, then I will forgive others. Craig Blomberg asks, can I be saved if I refuse to forgive others? No, he says. 
For no one who truly sensed how much she has owed God, how much she has offended God, how much her sin has separated her from an infinitely holy and loving creator, and who also recognises that God in Christ has forgiven her through no merit of her own, no one who truly understands these concepts and thus has received and, and appropriated that forgiveness could ever act in such a way as the servant in this parable. How are you doing on forgiveness? Are you willing to forgive? It may be tough, it may be really hard to do it. But are you trying? Or are you refusing? May God save all of us from ever behaving like the servant in Jesus' story. Let's pray together.